everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'd say that this is a special episode because I have a special guest, but uh, he's been on the show before. He's done his thing before. You guys all know him. It's my brother, Stevie. He's here. Stevie, you have the floor. Say hello to all the listeners. Hey, guys. Uh, that's my impression of Greg Turkington from On Cinema because I'm kind of playing the frequent guest slash co-host on cinema type role that's that's absolutely without right. the animosity but yeah we we'd like to i'd like to think on comics and cinema we have a pretty good rapport here all the guests that come on the show are welcome they're honored and uh never never instigated against so hopefully that doesn't happen during this movie actually i don't think it will because the movie we're going to be talking about today is a movie that not only myself and my brother agree on but i think most of society agrees on as one of the greatest movies of all time and this movie just so happens to have celebrated its 10th anniversary, uh, actually last week on July 16th. But uh, we're talking about it now because just like uh, this movie or just like this podcast, uh, Christopher Nolan has delayed other things like Tenant, which is now being delayed uh, indefinitely. So I have delayed this podcast to this week because we're talking about Inception. And uh, this is, uh, again, Christopher Nolan, written and directed, starring his rogues gallery of actors that attend all of his movies. Uh, You know him by heart (laughs) as I scroll on IMDb. Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Ken Watanabe, Dileep Rao, Cillian Murphy, Tom Berenger, Basinger, Uh, Killian. I like Killian. That's great. Oh, and then you can't forget Pete Postlethwaite. Postlethwaite. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Rest in peace. That's right. And Michael Caine. And Marion Cotillard, uh, who is fantastic. And then we also have a couple of other people, but I'm looking at this cast list. That's it, right? Or there's probably more. I guess there's a lot, but um, but it's a good cast. It's very solid. Um, You could argue not exactly diverse, but uh, good enough for uh, this movie being as insane as it is. So... Stevie and I uh, just watched this movie last night, and uh, we're ready to talk about it. I know you guys have been clamoring for my scripted episodes, and I appreciate that. I've been loving the fan mail. This one's going to be unscripted because uh, we want to really talk off the cuff. I think we're going to be diving in deep. Don't be surprised if we go one to two layers down on this one and end up stuck in limbo. Maybe in a third layer. Maybe even a third. We've got to go deeper. (laughs) So what I'm going to do is I, I took some notes during the movie, uh, kind of going as the movie was going. I'll, uh, I'll share my notes, and then, Stevie, you can share your thoughts uh, as those are going as we talk about this film. But what I'll say first is I'll open up the floor to you. I know we talked about this film on our uh, Top Movies of the Decade podcast. I think you and I both – I think this was the movie that you and I both had at the exact same spot. I know we had a lot of other that's like flip flop, but I think we both had Inception at like number four or three, something like that. Possibly, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, what's so special about this movie? Man, uh, Inception is the heist dec- heist movie of the twenty first century. Is how I would start. Um, kind of renders all others obsolete and kind of lame. You're like, just talking about like Ant Man. No, well, yes. Hurricane heist. Like those came after, but. Played on the same let's, script, let's, I guess. Let's look at like you know your classic heist, like Italian job. Sure. Right? You know, get in, get out. We got getaway cars, and this is you're still doing a heist, but it's like we're actually not taking anything. We're leaving something. Mm. Oh, and also, it's not even real. We're doing it in the dream world. 
So, yeah, I mean, to me, this well, this movie came out. I was what I would have been seventeen, ten years ago. Uh, wow. Uh, I remember seeing the trailer for it and just freaking out. And I, I think I told this story in the other episode we did that I was, you know, I was the guy, the town crier, trying to tell everybody, That's oh, there's right. this movie coming out called Inception. Have you seen the trailer? Everyone's like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Okay, you'll you'll rue the day that you questioned me." And I, I don't want to say that I was a, a follower in that regard. I'd like to think I saw the trailer, made my <laughs> own decisions on it too. But I also saw that when I saw the trailer the first time, there was not. I do specifically remember me saying, "This movie is going to be incredible and is going to transcend time." I didn't know why. I just knew based off the way that the trailer was. I was like, "There's just something special about this film." And I remember we uh, we got our tickets. I don't remember if it was it wasn't opening night. I know that for sure. Like it wasn't it wasn't a midnight that we went and saw no. it. But we went and saw it. I remember I sat at the edge of an aisle. We saw it at the Sarapahoe Theater too. Uh, ooh, good call. So if we see, yeah, and they must have updated their seats because I remember we sat at an aisle edge, and I was on the edge of the like the seats between the aisle. But I just remember being like, this isn't a good seat. We weren't in the center of the theater. This is before we were pros at going to the movies. We just kind of went. And this was also before reserved seating, so it was like we had gotten there and there were quite a few people there already, which made us really happy because, you know, people were going to see this film. But that's honestly all I remember from it, obviously, besides the film itself. There's no other real memories that I have, besides, obviously, afterwards going, holy crap, this movie was incredible. But uh, do you have any memories of, of going to see the film? Aside from the fact that we went to that theater, yeah, no, no, yeah, um, weird. But of course, the other thing that comes up, or came up then, is it comes up now, immediately after the movie, we all got into the discussion of like, what's right. what's the end? Is it real? Is it not? That's right. And that question still comes up as you watch the movie. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a timeless question and something that I think people have talked about for a really long time. And I, I might be wrong. I haven't I haven't checked recently, but I'm pretty sure it's been debunked at this point that I think Christopher Nolan said actually what it was and, and in our case confirmed it. But um, the discussion being, you know, what is he in a dream or not? And we'll get to that. That's going to, you know, when we get towards the end of the movie. But it's always nice to go see a film where the ending of the film gets you talking it's 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 the best kind of movie to see because then it's a it's a 4d experience in that sense you've seen it you, you enjoyed it but then you you've uh pushed the experience outward outside of the film Nolan does that he I've you're noticed. right i mean all of his movies seem to have a sort of i don't know what the word is but you can just tell that he he seems like the kind of guy that's sitting in his room and you know thinking about something and he's like i think i can make a movie about this and I, it was funny when i was when we were, i was watching this at least and a lot of these things that I'm going to be talking about this time around, I didn't realize the last few times I've seen this movie. And I've se- I've probably seen this movie like five times maybe. I know I saw it yeah, in theaters. Maybe a few more for me. I don't think we ever saw it twice in theaters. No, but then when it not. came out, we definitely watched it when it came out and we bought it. I know I watched it one time at work at a bunch of on a bunch of lunches on my phone. I know, sorry, David Lynch, uh, but then I watched it again one time at home, and then last night I actually got to watch it in 4K. I had the 4K disc, and it looked gorgeous. Um, but yeah, so a lot of these things are stuff that I didn't realize. One of them being, um, there's a scene where Saito is uh, talking with Cobb, and he's explaining to him what the job is, and he says something like. Uh, a young man 
with a father who owns an empire. I want him to spread out the empire to, and whatever it was, it just, the way he said it, and obviously it's the script, but it sounded like a fable the way he described it. And I just, and I I think I, I put a note in here about it too, but it was just so cool that you could tell Nolan had a very small, like you could make a two sentence to tell the story, to tell this whole two and a half hour movie, like it, it, you could boil it down to two or three sentences of like, man wants, uh, man wants an <laughs> empire dissolved. We have to plant the idea in his head for him to do so. That's literally it. That's all this movie is about. And it's funny how this movie is so good at making you forget that, because you're like two hours into this film watching them in like dream number two. And you're and there's so many times where you're like, oh, that's right, this is a dream, this isn't real, and uh, it's Mr. Charles. Yeah, my name's Mr. Charles. That oh, that that was great. Do you remember me? Do you remember our training? Remember your training. Focus. Remember your training. And and yeah, there was a lot of things I noticed this time, like the whole subconscious thing of like how your subconscious kind of is attacking the person. I thought was really cool. Um, but yeah, here we'll 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 uh, go here. The first thing I noticed, obviously, anyone will notice as the movie opens up incredible score mm-hmm. and i'm tom zimmer right yeah yeah absolutely kills it the uh, the trailer arguably did a more interesting job with the score because if you remember in the trailer there's the, just more jarring they took i mean it's like right. the same thing as annihilation where they take the the best part of the, the song yeah, and slap it in and there's the scene where they're she's building the town and the town starts collapsing in yeah. the trailer that's when it's going yeah. Boom. well that but the in the movie it's exploding not. in the market too. that's right but in the movie it doesn't do that and i feel like it would have been better if it had but then the other scenes where it is doing that is just the fact that it opens up though on the it's like ooh, okay this movie's gonna be great um, yeah, and I, again, notes notes that I draw down. Ideas are the hardest thing to eradicate. I really liked when he's explaining that to um, Saito in the dream. He's like, it's an interesting theory. You know, you plant an idea in somebody's mind, and really there's no way to eradicate it unless you can control minds. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but then the bathtub scene is so good. So it, the movie yeah, opens up cool. with them trying to extract his stuff and again i hadn't seen this movie in a while so i forgot that it was a dream in a dream when he's talking with him in uh oh well, yeah when he wakes up in the bathtub or whatever i was like oh that's actually still a dream that they're you know they're, yep. they're on a train right now they're they're waiting for a train <laughs> but uh but no that's just the the and when i wrote that down that was when Cobb is and he just just the editing in this movie is insane when he's falling back in the chair into the bathtub but then it cuts back to him in the dream at normal speed going. And, and then and next the water scene, all just coming a, through the temple that he's in. Yeah, that whole bit is just absolutely amazing. And the, yeah, I put dream in a dream. Brilliant. It just was. <laughs> it really, I mean, it's like you can't really. You, it's, you marvel at it in this. Well, it's no funny. Pun intended. I, at this point, it's become a meme. You know, all the jokes about blank within a blank being blankception or whatever. Um, I always take issue with that because it's like no Inception is planting the idea. I'm right. Just talking about the dream layers, but it's it's become such a joke to talk about like a dream within a dream. What about another dream? Mm-hmm. But I mean, it really makes it so unique because it's just crazy. When those memes haven't started, they didn't start today. They definitely well, they started, started back then. Right. They which started is almost immediately. Which is crazy because it, for a lot of films, it takes a bit. Right. I've noticed recently, like, you know, whatever, the, at least for me, like Marvel movies, 
the minute Infinity War came out, I feel like there were Thanos memes right away. But for a lot of other movies, it seems like it's like the next generation sees the movie and then makes memes about it. Or it takes, you know, oh, this is a, a late gem. Like, well, no one appreciated it at the time. I don't think that was the case with this movie. I don't know if movie. you'd like me saying it, but I feel like that has become an area for marketing. I think oh, no, of, I agree. A lot of movies, especially Netflix, I think is really big on doing this, where they sort of, I'm sure that they pay and promote people to make memes and stuff about their content. Remember, like, Bird Box, everyone was going crazy about for yeah. no reason. Yeah. What Other than, I mean, aside mean? from the fact that, yeah, it's on Netflix, it's accessible, but I... There's no way that people are just making memes organically about that stuff. Especially, Maybe it was yeah. the case with Thanos, because that stuff's pretty funny. But, um, but yeah, Inception was a big cultural landmark in that sense. And yeah. Nolan, a lot of his movies are like that. Maybe not so much, but like obviously the Batman movies are. Yes, um, in more ways than one. I mean, Batman Begins. I think Bat. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't think we ever even saw Batman Begins in theaters. Because you think about another huge meme of the last decade was the joker yeah Heath Ledger's joker that's another one that's become a huge thing and so has bane bane all the the, stuff about i want the the fire rises that was sort of i I mean we did that i would say would be the um you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain you know yep and i'm trying to think so there wasn't really anything from memento but then like you got interstellar has so many memeable things there and then you've already got i mean you've got ninja tweeting what's better interstellar or inception <laughs> which is something that like we, so many people talk, talk about that don't we i i think we will and it's still even as i was wa- it's nice though because the movies are so different that even as i was watching it it never crossed my mind but when the movie ended i was like i feel like it's an it's an instance where when you were watching the movie that's your favorite one because when i'm watching inception i'm thinking like i'm all in on it and then when i was after i was like I feel like this movie's better than Interstellar, but I remember saying that after watching Interstellar, like, man, yeah. this movie's better than Inception. I was just thinking that with, um, sorry to deviate to no, music, no. but Ooh. Um, I was thinking that with Yeezus, because I love Yeezus, and in my albums of the last decade, I had it right under Kendrick's To Pimp a Butterfly, but I was thinking, when I listen to Yeezus, it's better. Right. Even though, I know the other's probably a better album, obviously, but... When I listen to Yeezus, that's like the best album that exists. So. It, it, it really is. I mean, and, and for the, any of you who haven't listened to Yeezus, my recommendation would be to do so at night. Uh, you can do it with others, but preferably alone. And uh, you probably need to be a little tired, I would say, too. I feel like you got to be in the space where, like, maybe you got lost a great, in a like, sewer. sleep deprivation album. Sort of. Like, it's, it's wild. Kind of dark. I just remember when We're we... are doing, like, a... We're really... That? That William Hurt movie, uh, Altered States, if you're in like a, a sensory deprivation chamber. Just, mm-hmm. that would a mix cool. of that and Zero Dark Thirty in, in uh, the night vision. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm trying to think of how we can segue back, but we'll just move back to the movie. Uh, we'll just wake up from that dream. When oh, I, that's right, yeah. These are, these are the layers in this dream. So Every this, time you get off, I'll just, like, tip your chair over and you'll fall <laughs> like Joseph Gordon-Levitt and we'll come back. I will, okay, here's the only nitpick that I have about this film, and this, this is to say a lot. It, it says a lot that this is the only nitpick. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bane, Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy uh, they, they ate the role a little too much, I think. I, I, Just the, the a bit. The dynamic there was a little hammy. A little hammy. it's their fault. I and again, it written that way. I know. And I, I, it's, it's the dumbest complaint. It's that sort of complaint of when you see someone who's overacting and you're like, 
you're just like, you're clearly overacting. But you can't say that to them because we know how good Joseph Gordon-Levitt is as an actor. I wouldn't blame them. I think that that would be an instance of underwriting the relationship because I feel like clearly they had a history. We just don't know what it is. Interesting. I guess so. But you know what it reminded me of? This just popped into my head too. I just rewatched that Portlandia episode with uh, Andy Samberg where he's the bartender. Mixologist. Yeah, and every time... uh, fred goes to talk to him they have the like weird what's up dude oh, yeah hey what's oh, up man hey, 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 going, man? Oh, like, hey man that's yeah. kind of how it felt with a little them. bit yeah but um it hit me in the the scene attention. where they're sitting in their chairs and he's like like this and like taps joseph's chair and he's like Whoa! Yeah. but but in that i'm looking at him like joe why are you like already leaning back in your chair when you're sitting next to tom hardy like you know he's gonna right, prank gonna you and then there's the one where and i, I actually like the line but again i'm like okay a little cheesy when he says and i'll lead them on a merry chase and i was like okay <laughs> and then there's the one where and again this is why it's such a funny nitpick because the scenes are so badass uh when he's shooting the guy and tom hardy goes you need to dream a little bigger oh, darling yeah. and, and then but then i noticed it takes him a while he's you know like what? you need to dream a little bigger darling and then you're like okay what Oh, then what? he pulls out the what? grenade launcher. And then he pulls the yeah. grenade launcher out, but you're like, oh, man, and then he blows it up. I, but... almost, I almost wonder if they were ex-lovers. You, th- you That'd would be an interesting there needs back, to be... some lore. Do we need a sequel? Let's do some backlog lore and just come up with this stuff on our own. Yeah, but, yeah, uh... that's fine. They were lovers, and Ellen Page... I guess let's just do that. We're, we're in the spot. I like this bit in the movie where essentially... And again, it's just... I mean, I don't know how many times we're going to end up saying how perfect this film is or how much grease I'm going to get in my hair from constantly rub, running my hand through it at how much I can't believe it. But um, it, it, seriously, I, I am. Um, oh, here's one i got to call out. Uh, so he's, okay, so he's recruited everyone. And we'll, we'll talk yeah. about this now then. So he's got, we got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's like his right-hand man, right? Um, he's super cool. I love how serious he is. And he nothing really seems to make him laugh or funny. But then when you do see him smile, you're like, nice, we got him. Uh, like the scene where he kisses uh, Ellen Page. He's like, uh, it's worth a shot. And I was like, <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, but then uh, you got Ellen Page. That whole scene was so cool when he shows up to uh, Michael Caine's office. And I just, I was thinking while he's doing that, I was like, I mean, again, I was thinking, this movie is so good. But I was just thinking to myself, like, what if he is crazy? Because Michael Caine's a normal guy, and he's like, you've lost touch with reality. Like, you, you've done this. And I'm like, he has, though. He 100, also, you can't argue with the fact that he's lost sense of reality because he spent so much time Thinking down about it now, uh, and this was something that came up for me the first time watching it, is kind of what you were saying. When, when Cobb starts talking to his dad about, like, trying to get back to the kids, and Michael Caine's demeanor kind of changes, and it almost made me think, what if the kids don't exist what if the kids are dead for some reason right i actually thought that as well because he's just like like suddenly he's like okay fine i'll play along but it's like you wonder if again that ties into the whole late question of whether it's real at the right. end but... and i actually got a new breakthrough on that that question when we get to it which is great i think but so he goes to his dad and he says I, it's i only need one it's one more job one more it's job always, it's, it's always it's the all, but heist. it's but the way that he explains it in this film i believe him like you believe him oh, yeah. he's like i want it's not that he's trying to get money there's i love that money is never taught like we never know anything because he's gonna give his share to the chemist anyway but you don't know who how much what is the share you, uh, you have knows? no idea it's how surely much the money it's is a ton since sato just bought the airline yeah, that, I, love that. I love that that line made me laugh so hard yeah. he's what does he says we need to 
Um, you know, he's he travels from L.A. or from wherever it was. Like, yeah, and he's Australia like, to L.A. We're going to first need, class is going to be in the nose. We're going to need to buy out all the first all class the and a flight attendant. Yeah. I bought the airline. <laughs> and he's like, I figured it might come in handy. And I'm like, Saito! He, he too. So Saito starts out as a villain. And this part you're going to have to explain to me. Cobalt is the company that is coming after him, that's chasing after him everywhere. I got chasing Cobalt. after... Cobb. Yeah. What is that? Why? Why are well, they chasing after Well, it sounds like him? they, I mean, surely must have stolen some information from him. I mean, that's okay. their focus before this mission was extraction. Right, they were taking something from Saito. So they must have taken some idea from whatever that company was, and their mercenaries were just coming. Down. So it's completely for a while. I thought Saito was the CEO of Cobalt. Oh, I see. And yeah. I, and then he shows up on the the tarmac with the guy in, the, in his helicopter, and I'm like, okay, so he clearly like some and and again well, he mentions I, him, yeah, yeah. And I but then I chose to just forget about. It. I was like, whatever. But I love the idea that they the movie starts with them literally infiltrating his mind, which is in reality is like insane like if i would never forgive somebody if i found out that they like went into my mind but he immediately is like just like a super rich person would be i've got a job for you like i can see you just you just proved to me that i like i know you can do this job but then from there he goes from being the faraway benefactor to being i want to be a part of this well you just i gotta take care of my investment. i gotta take care of my investment but but it was the, the such a good thing about this movie is that every single character in the squad gets fleshed out and has a bit of a backstory that you can kind of follow and, and understand where they come from. So that's Saito's. And then you, like I said, we got J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You don't really get a backstory, I don't think. But no. you know enough to be like, okay, whatever. Tom Hardy is the... Forger. The forger. And I was like, why is he a forger? And then I was like, oh, he basically pretends to be other people in the dream, which yeah. is awesome. So cool. He's a master of disguise. If you he know. is. He's a, yeah, he's a pistachio. He's got a little disguise the energy in him. Yeah, and I liked that part in the movie, too. Every time he would say, become another person <laughs> before he did it. Uh, but the way the camera did he that, too. He should have brought his, his only, uh, his carry-on in the overhead. That's a nest in a box. That's right, nest in a box. Um, but, yeah, so he his character was super cool. And then you've got, uh, but so then it's Ellen Page. And recruited by Michael Michael Caine, which again hilarious to me that it's like he's like just one more job, just and Michael's like you have a mental disorder, like you've lost your (laughs) mind. He's like please, it's just one more job. And he goes, he goes, I just need somebody who's as good as me. I've got someone better. And I was like yes. And then they of course, and I don't know if you know this, her name Ariadne is like from Greek mythology. She was uh, Weaver of Dreams. No, she was in charge of the uh, labyrinth. That the military ah. She's the one who gave Theseus the string to find his way out. Ooh, you have a minute to draw a maze that takes two minutes to solve. Or two minutes to draw a maze that takes a minute to solve. Right. Which brings me to this note. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. What happens in that scene? She draws, she draws a, a maze, maze and uh-huh. he says, try again. She draws another maze. What does he do when he sa- What does he do with the, the notebook? He crumples them up, right? He crumples them up. Yeah. Exactly. But it's a spiral notebook. And I, I it, uh, my OCD kicked in when I saw that. I'm like, he could just like take the page and, uh, well, and spin it's more it dramatic. up. It is more. I was like, he's being just very dramatic. In it's this like game. trying to hang up on somebody with a cell phone. You can't like slam the yeah. receiver down. I said on a spiral notebook, he tears the sheets out. Wow. Uh, but then yeah, father thinks he's crazy and has lost touch with reality. 
But uh, then this part I thought was really – I loved the conversation that he has with her in the dream regard – whatever it is, basically prepping her and explaining to her. And even though there's some bits as he explains it that don't make sense or that they don't go into, specifically how they're all in the same dream, I understand that they're all hooked up to uh, something. But they never tell you how that's possible, which is, again – I'm fine suspending my belief. It's they, <laughs> it's not real. I know it's not real, but the, he just it goes to show how good a job they did at sealing all the cracks in this story of and I didn't even notice this until this time where they said this whole dream thing was developed by the military for soldiers to train in their dreams so that they could kill each other and not actually die. Mm. And I was like, okay, cool. So again, it makes sense. They've figured out how to combine dreams. That's great. But he says, we create and perceive our world at the same time. They they take over during creation. Uh, dreams are real until we wake up. And we never remember them. We never remember the beginning. Right. We always wake up in the middle of that's the dream. That's my favorite thing that he explains. Because like, it makes... how we got... I know. Yeah. and it, But it makes so much sense. Because that's all real. Like, you never remember getting into a dream you're just in the middle of the action it's like when you switch the channel on the tv and you're in the middle of the movie exactly all of a and you never remember how you turn the tv on just that pluto tv was always on. <laughs> uh it's free tv uh and so now we're going to get to the point where this is a discussion that uh maybe you knew was coming maybe you didn't but we're going to get to the scene where the city collapses on itself which is a lot like another movie uh a marvel movie dr strange I specifically remember Stevie in theaters turning to me and saying, Inception did it better. Yeah. And then saying, that scene in Inception was better than all of the Doctor Strange movie. And uh, You're talking when the thing folds over? Yeah, when the city folds over because there's the scene in where... Honestly, here's testament. I don't even remember it in Doctor Strange. Nice. Great. Well, I've never forgotten (laughs) it. So we can... Who's got the mental disorder now? Uh, No, so if... if, And I'll, I'll try and remind you. There's a scene in Doctor Strange where... He, him and I think I'm gonna have to rewatch that movie too. But I think it was Wong, maybe the Ancient One. They're fighting Caecilius and his crew, and they're in New York, and they've kind of activated their magic. They've activated oh, the yeah, mirror dimension, kind of and it's not the same as Inception. It's not no, but, in any way, but it. Looks uh, I the, wouldn't say in any way. Well, right, okay, but so it looks the same. You got cities. Influence. You've got cities collapsing and moving and fine. And what I was thinking and the quip I had, and it makes it so much better for comedy purposes because i spent a long time thinking about this and the best comeback to this is well i don't even remember that movie so it doesn't whatever what, so. inception you know yeah. you like you're like i don't even remember dr strange so you're saying that was the best comeback yeah because here's I just what, said well, that. right but I, i'm being honest i know but i'm saying i thought for a while on mine to you which your response is i don't even remember the movie uh, uh, <laughs> so like, come you, on, that's like the. What were you trying to say? So, then? what I was gonna say is that <laughs> fine. You, you. <laughs> I mean, okay. But I'm gonna create the whole argument because I had it in my head. Yeah, you so the, both sides. Yeah, the argument is we'll get the what is, we'll get the Inception did better than Doctor Strange. Fine, I'm not arguing that. <laughs> I'm not arguing that. But to say that it was that Doctor Strange copied Inception, I think is fake. <laughs> Fake news, because unless, of course, uh, Scott Derrickson was incepted with the idea from Inception. <laughs> well, but, think about it. Christopher Nolan planted that idea in all of our heads. I guess that's true. So, the, But the argument that I had was, in Inception, it's a dream when that's happening. Okay. It's happening, oh, in, a, a, yeah, it's happening in a dream, 
in Doctor Strange, it's happening in real life. <laughs> so, so there, it actually was real in Doctor Strange. It's actually Strange. real, and that, it's slightly better. It's slightly better, just a little bit. And then Stevie's comment would be, "Well, I don't even remember that movie." So, great. Well, look, obviously they're different movies. No, uh, I know. I just Inception I remember doesn't have any scenes of Pangborn playing basketball <laughs> at the YMCA park. That's uh, the Pangborn. that's the one thing I remember from that movie because Harry right. and I would say that all the time. That's right. Hey, Pangborn, you going in on this one? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I'm uh, not going to talk about that movie because this is not. No, that's fine. That's I, we that. had to we had to say it and and we've said it. So next we're moving into the totem conversation, which is uh, uh, basically Joseph Gordon-Levitt and in a way Cobb too explains to Ellen Page that uh, you have to create a totem for yourself so that when you wake up, you know that you're dreaming, whether you know that you're dreaming or not. Yeah. Um. I know it. I'm sure a lot of people know it and understand it. But can you dive a little deeper on that? Because I I get Cobb's device. It makes total sense. A top that never topples, you're in a dream. Easy peasy. But my two questions are, why does your totem follow you in your dream? One. Two, why is Ellen Page's totem, what is the point of her little rook or her little bishop that she she makes? And I know I understand she was like fiddling with it to make sure the weight was off but like if i was dreaming and i had a had a pawn sitting in my pocket and i just flipped it like probably this, you're saying the same thing would happen who would know right like who's gonna know that like i get it with a top you can tell but so like why why well, i think that? that's the idea is like right it's something that you're gonna keep on you all the time so that you get so accustomed to the weight of it and so accustomed to the feel of it and that's like your question was how does it show up in the dream if it essentially becomes like a part of you that sure. no matter where you are, what you're doing, you can reach into your pocket and it's there. Mm. That's like the important thing in the dream. And yeah, I think the weight would be a difference. There could be some other thing. Who kn- Like if you're dealing with a dream, obviously anything could happen, right? I mean, you could flick that and it just starts flipping and floats away. Who yeah. knows? Um, I, think so- my, I think my totem would be uh, going on to box office mojo in the dream and seeing that Avatar beat Avengers Endgame. I'd know, I'd be, I'd know I'm dreaming. Because in real life, that's not... In a more serious (laughs) manner, my totem, if I were to have one, I have this little golden die. Oh, right, right, right. yeah, yeah, It's, like, really heavy. Mm -hmm. It would probably be something where, I don't know, I would would my totem be? test what it rolls in real life, and then if I, you know, constantly roll sixes or something in a dream, I know I'm dreaming. Hmm. You know what? It would be be my glasses, and I think it would be... (laughs) I know I'm dreaming if in the glasses, I could close both. Oh. Because this one's broken, and I glued it. That's a good one. Uh, So there there we go. It's a little quirk. Um, but no, so I think, and I think the whole totem conversation anyway, though, is super cool. I love, I absolutely love the idea of that top. Obviously, that top is the crux of the film at the end of figuring out whether, you know, the movie is real or not. But yep, next line here, I bought an, I bought the airline. Great. Uh, stakes couldn't be higher. So yeah, he. this part I thought really, like from there, the movie just amps up is when they're, when they're heading there. He says... He has to, he's like telling Saito, you realize I have to do Inception or I'm going to get arrested yeah. the minute that we arrive. Right. But then they go into the dream and he says, we need to hold off this guy's army or we're going to spend decades in limbo if we die. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's not only are the dreams compounding on each other, but the stakes are compounding on each other in the movie. He did such a good, uh, Nolan did such a good job of like each dream level that they're in. Um, has its own like issue that they're having to deal with that make because they could have easily just gone in and he had no security and boom it would have been easy peasy 
but uh, Nolan doesn't go for easy peasy. And so we're skipping out on that guy, the the chemist. Right. Um, do you remember his name? I don't. I don't, I don't know e- if you have either. Name. I don't. Yeah, I don't either. But he he was interesting. I liked him I'm a sure lot more. <laughs> I, I liked him a lot more in this go around. The last few times, I always kind of found him just a bit annoying because I was just like, he seemed so cocky about his concoctions, and I was like, well, he was right. I and mean, but he was right. And then I know. So now when I see it, I was like, yeah, you know, he knows his stuff. He's them all out for ten hours or whatever. It was it was cool to see the scene where he takes them into the basement. I completely forgot about that, and all of the old people are hooked up to the to the device. And the one old guy comes up and says they want to be here. Like they would rather be in the dream. And, and I think at that point, if you hadn't guessed it already, that that was going to be a theme of the film of like, what is your reality and what what reality do you want to accept for yourself? Which is a really interesting conversation to have. And, and would if obviously we can try talking about it, but that would have been what I would have written about for this one is the idea of multiple realities or like when you're dreaming, they say that too, like when you're dreaming, that dream is your reality. The dream is real when you're in it. It isn't until you wake up that you realize that you were in a dream. It's a really interesting thing. So I got I to gotta ask you, if you knew you were dreaming and the dream was incredible, would you ever want to wake up? Would you, like or like, uh, like Mal, would you rather stay in limbo or would you rather wake up? Well, first of all, she didn't know. Not until Inception. What do you mean? Well, no, he... He, he planted, opened the safe and spun the, her top. So yeah, he planted the idea. She in her no head. longer knew what real was. I thought. See, the way the way that I interpreted that was he he's expl- and that part was creepy when I watched it. I was like, I immediately was like, did he gaslight her? But he, all he did well, was no, he didn't realize what he was doing. Right. Well, right. He just I mean, planted he did, the idea that it was essentially that they were in this in limbo. She thought that was real, so he spun her top to show her that it wasn't real, that it was a dream. Right. That was his inception, that he planted that idea in her head. But what he didn't realize was once they woke up... The fact yeah. that it's locked in the safe is essentially representing it being like in her mind permanently. Right. So that no matter what state she's in, the top is still spinning in her head. So she still thinks she's dreaming. That's a good point. He could have easily just killed her, and then she would have woken up, and then she would have been normal. Right. Well, that's what they did to get out. Right, but that was train. but after he messed with yeah, her. Yeah, cuz he had to convince her that it was a dream and she didn't want to go anyway. So Absolutely crazy. But but what would you do? Would you uh would you stay in the dream or would you uh, wake up? I mean, what, you got kids and stuff to deal with, you probably want to go back. But you are in a reality where your life you could live to be 100 and when you wake up, it's only been 10 minutes. Would you do it? Would I ever go into the dream? Is that what you're saying? I'm Just saying if you you somehow end up in limbo and you're five layers down and it's you know a hundred years for five minutes up in the top, would you immediately shoot yourself in the head to wake up, or would you stay there for fifty years? And well, I don't know about fifty years. I might stay for a few. A few years? Sure, why not? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would. I <laughs> I would. But right. I feel like then you would have to ask that question again because after a few years, who knows? Maybe uh, you want to stay a little longer. Right. But uh, it's 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 truly is a really interesting conversation, especially when you get to that idea of the layers of the dream all being um, stratified. I guess you could say in terms of the time, which actually is interesting because guys, 
Stevie did the math. He uh, he he worked really hard while I was taking notes, not understanding what's going on in the world. Stevie was doing the math. He was doing the hard numbers, cooking the books, and uh, he's got a note thing I'm looking at right here. Stevie, you want to dive into what you found? Yeah, this so, is for anyone out there who maybe was wondering, well, how long in one dream? How long is one dream versus the other dream in the movie? I guess it's a little bit of algebra. Who knows? Um, mm. The first discussion we have about time is when uh, Cobb takes. Ariadne and they're at the market or whatever and they snap out of it and they say they were only under for five minutes and she said oh it felt like an hour and that's what they said is you know five minutes here is equal to like an hour of sleep so what you got there is 12 times longer because there's five 12 minutes in an hour hmm. and basically and they explain this later too with some numbers and I can't remember exactly if my math matches up with what they said but pretty much it's 10 or 12 times for each layer. So like the fact they're on this plane for a 10 hour flight, if you assume they're under for the full 10 hours, then that first dream level is going to feel like five days time, which I think makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. they, they sort of get from the initial point to putting him under in what feels like it could have been a day or two actually. Because they kidnapped him and they had right. him sitting. And in who the knows, they might've had him in there for a while. They yeah. had time to hang out and all that stuff. So that could have been a day or two. And then, you know, the chase scene might have been the third day. And then after that, they probably would have been hanging out for another day or two. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about what they did. Right, when they got They kind of would have had to. Yeah. The next layer would have been two months. So, you know, had they been unable to snap out of that, they would have been in that sort of hotel sequence or whatever for two months' time. Mm -hmm. And then the layer after that would be two years. That was the snow yeah. place. Okay. Yeah. Two, so yeah. had they been unable to snap out of that, they would have spent two years there. What would Limbo have been then? But well, I mean, they kind of go if you into assume that. It's the if you assume it's the 12 years, it would be, 24. then it would be 24. But I don't think it works that way. Limbo's, Limbo's like, could theoretically <clears throat> be infinite, I guess. I think they kind of explain that too, that it is. Um, I, and that kind of brings to I, I, another quote I caught. Because I think down. he said, I think, you, I, maybe I was looking at Wikipedia, I think this is what it said, that um, when he and Mal were in Limbo, it was only like maybe three hours in real life, and they were down there for like 50 years. Yeah. So. That makes, that's just so crazy. And here we're talking 10 hours in real life to two years, and that's just three layers deep, so. Yeah. Limbo's a crazy spot, or a crazy place for sure. I love that, though, that um, they had a sort of plan in place with the kicks so that they wouldn't stay down there for five days. Like, I, I feel like they, in each of those, it was like, we need to get this done as fast as possible. And obviously it was because of the, the subconscious mind of, uh, Killian Murphy's character, who we didn't really you know go into, but that whole that whole idea is just so again so interesting that within all of this we haven't even talked about the person that they're trying to incept, and even his story is really interesting. Yeah. Of that, you know, how do you plant an idea in somebody's head? Disappointed. Disappointed. Uh, but yeah, the whole twist of you know I, I'm disappointed that you ever thought you want you you would be me. Yeah, that, disappointed like, you would be, that you tried. That disappointed that you tried, and then putting the windmill in the safe, and uh, but then I, I forgot that that Mal killed him, and then they had to go in and get him because yeah, I was like, him. oh my, like can't we just get a win, please? Um, oh, here's one. Um, DiCaprio looks like Nolan. A little bit. 100%. Like, there are multiple scenes, and, and if for those of you who are wanting an actual example, the first time it hit me was when they were in the um, uh, Ariadne. Ariadne's dream, when they were crafting it to begin with, and they're talking. 
Right. There's a scene. There's a wide shot after they're talking. That's a little further out. It's actually right as all of the stuff starts exploding. I was like, "Is that Christopher Nolan?" I was like, "No, no, no. It's Leonardo DiCaprio." Like, because I was thinking to myself, like, he's got to have. I, if I'm him, like, I want a cameo in these movies. <laughs> but what better way to do it than to actually play the main character right. for a quick bit? Love a good director. And then, cameo. but then I couldn't shake it. And throughout the whole rest of the movie, I'm like, look, he like at the right angle, he looks identical to him. But then, you know, he turns his head a little bit, and it's like, oh, okay, that's DiCaprio. But it was really interesting. Um, the significance of the numbers five two eight four nine one as the safe. That's the actual safe code, right? Is that why that number kept popping up? Because he, 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 um, they, they capture him in the first dream, and they're like, we need the combination to the safe. He comes up with that. I don't well, know. right, but he was like, I don't know the safe yeah. combination. But then he's like, give me the first numbers that pop into your head. No, that's what He that says was. those numbers, but then they use those numbers for everything. Yeah, so obviously what they're doing there is they had him spit out random numbers, and then... You know, for each person's dream it was, that's part of the architecture is like, okay, it's my dream. That's going to be the code that opens this. Right. So it wasn't an actual... So it wasn't like he knew it. Okay. No, I think that that's part of the architecture of the dream is that they took that number and ran with it. And is that so that in the final dream when he approaches the safe, he knows the combination just knows it because that's the number. Because he said it. And And he still doesn't realize that that first layer is a dream. Right. Right. So that's why it's like it would make sense that if you're if you're just dreaming, the number that might come up is one that you said that day, right? Right. So that's kind of I think why they designed it that okay. way. And then right, he gets because when he comes back to that first dream level, he's kind of talking to the right hand man, which isn't it Tom Hardy at that point, or right. maybe it was yeah, that guy, yeah, but yeah, just kind of debriefing. That part was so good because again, that's sort of that's supposed to feel real to him because that's like the anchor point. Mm. But then, of course, he wakes up on a plane and was like, "Whoa, that was a dream too." <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Like if I were him, I'd that we're gonna get to bit. that too. But I just when he woke up and just was like looking around a little bit, and then that was it. I, like if that was me, I'd be like, "You all were in my dream, like all of you <laughs> yeah, in but this that's, flight." Again, but it like, makes sense because it's not even a thing because it's just oh, right. somebody you're seeing next to you on a plane. Just wild. And uh, but yeah, I so said tricking him into thinking his uncle staged the kidnapping to get the codes tricking him into breaking into his own subconscious like the the brilliance of their plan was so good and to think that they were so unconfident of it in the beginning when he's like this can't be done and i i truly think that this plan only worked because of tom hardy and obviously um ellen page did it did her job but like tom multiple instances in here tom hardy is the one who suggested the uncle tom hardy is the one who suggested the way of doing the dream when he he's the one the first one who said we need to figure out what his relationship is with his dad yeah tom hardy is the one who played the uncle and figured it out tom hardy is also the only one who didn't get captured in the the third dream of the in the snow he's the one right. that saved everybody he was the one who timed that he's the one who timed it he's the one he did he did everything so like this would not have worked without tom hardy which is crazy to me to think about um, but then that's I got why, to th- that's why Leo had to go get him and that's right. or whatever he was. So I'd like to submit a new name for this movie. Oh, it's called uh, The Longest Flight to LA. I think no. is what I think. Terrible. I think that's great because the, the it is the longest flight because when you, the whole time they're on this plane, they're in a dream for like days. Why don't they just call it Thrice Dreaming with an Thrice, thrice Dreaming. I like that. No. Could be four the fourth oh yeah, fourth layer. Um so the idea of we need a bigger dream we oh, we're gonna need a bigger dream yeah. or you're gonna need a bigger dream um so matt he keeps memories in his subconscious 
of Mal that he goes to when he wants, when he's dreaming with the elevator. Yeah. But she clearly understands that she's only a memory. Am I right in that? Because she tried to like get into the elevator multiple times. There's that bit where she's like, what are you doing here? When she's talking to Ellen and she's like, I know who well, you are. What are you doing? It's not, but she's really a really powerful subconscious right. to the point where she's essentially another part of his yeah, mind. Yeah, because he's kind of reduced his subconscious to her. To her, yeah. Giving her so much power. I, um, yeah, that was, yeah, the, the whole, where's the thing used to be? It. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says there's a scene where they go down into the, the final layer in the limbo. Him and, him and uh, Ariande, Ariana Grande. Ariadne. Ariadne. And uh, she says, this is your world? Because he had explained, and he says... He says it used to be. But yet, he keeps Mal in his head. I just thought that... I mean, obviously, it's an interesting layer into his psyche, but the fact that he's trying to distance himself, and he does it multiple times of, like, this isn't a problem. And even at that point, like, this isn't my life anymore. Like, getting down there, yeah, we built that, but this isn't me anymore. Yet, he still keeps her in his head all this time. It's just crazy to me. I mean, how could you not, right? I, I, I know. That was... It's... It's not just like his wife that died. I mean, it's him. Remember, he grew old with her. This was yeah. they spent an entire lifetime together before she died. And they didn't even age though, because when they died, they right. were still the same age because it was a dream. But that, I mean, that whole thing I thought was great. And then from there, and I didn't realize it as I was because I actually I rewound it at the end to rewatch the top. I was like, I gotta. I it went by too fast again. But um, they spend so much time talking him and Mal. Uh, in the bottom limbo and then within that sparse is that same the same van slowly going towards the water and yeah. it's just well that crazy. was another thing i wanted to figure yeah. out yeah because okay. here going back to my time how how long would you say the van had in the span of falling off and into the water um i mean theoretically it probably had a couple seconds okay so i had to be a little generous and say 10 seconds which is not crazy One, two, obviously falling three. would literally take like two seconds right but I mean, you have to take a little liberty. But in yeah, the time fine, of him fine. going and off the bridge, 10 seconds. So that would mean the Joseph Gordon-Levitt bit where he's trying to get all the elevator thing going, he's got about two minutes. And they, they, they say that. Yeah, they say that. And then that equates to 24 minutes in the other one. Yeah. Which, again, is what they say. So I yeah. think Christopher Nolan did the math. tried to make it all add up. Well, and not only that, not only did he do the math, but he did the, the cinematography for it worked. Because you've right. got the van scene going. Well, first off, every you, time the van showed up, I laughed though, because it's like, oh, still falling. I know, it's still falling. It's, still and there. it's a great reminder though. But so you never see them on the plane. It's like because almost like that Monty Python bit where the guy's running, still running, still running. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that part's in super slow motion, and then the hotel scene is sort of in slow motion. They Just crafted the elevator part, but of it they is. crafted yeah, it but... to the point where he's floating everywhere because right. the dreams clapping. So there's a, there's an added idea that it's it's slow but not as slow. And then you get to the third part of the dream where it's going normally, but then in limbo, you you know you're in limbo that it's taking forever. Um, yeah, I just said said insane editing and, and cinematography. Um, okay, so yeah, so we've we've reached the end. So he he they incept the idea successfully. I love that you know they did so much planning, so much work, but that bit took literally a second of him walking in, opening the safe, seeing it. And then they wake up. I thought it was like, it was like, boom, quick. And so he wakes up. Uh, Saito calls, makes the phone call, and they arrive at the airport. So I, I really tried to pay attention hard at, from the minute they woke up. The things I was looking for were Saito being a ball of jelly, which he clearly wasn't. 
but shouldn't he have been? Cobb as well has now been to limbo, what, twice? Maybe even more Why times? Why would he be a ball of jelly? He said his mind would just disappear for how long you spend in limbo would just ruin your mind. Yeah. Well, and he kind of was at that point, but I think the whole dialogue with him and Leo before they came back kind was of like trying to back. refresh him, like to okay. make it so he wouldn't come back. And that was the whole thing of like seeing how he reacted when he woke up. Because if he was a ball of jelly, he wouldn't have known exactly. what was going on. Yeah. So I thought, okay, good. But so that part's nice. Like, okay, I got to make a call. So then we see all of his team looking at him and smiling. Looking at at Cobb. So now right. now we're moving on to Cobb now. The the question is, is he in a dream or not? So we get to this point where he's woken <laughs> he's woken up and everyone's like looking at him weird. They're all like giving him like a smile. And I, I get it, right? Job well done, that's fine. Right. But there's a, a weird the music that they choose that Hans plays is I think purposely wrong for the scene to make you kind of it was kind of weird at the airport yeah and then they get to the airport and you you know like he's got you get the at this point it just because it feels like everything in this movie so far has been brand new that you're watching you're like i've never seen this before but now you're getting back to the tropes of they've finished the job they're all looking at each other in the airport giving each other the nods and it's like what like and i'm sure he did it on purpose you're thinking like okay is this a dream is it not a dream so we get to we don't know what he did what Saito made the like I don't know what he could have done to make him you know not be a murderer anymore I loved that whole thing by the way of like Mal basically set him up to be the murderer but whatever it is we're assuming he's made the call he's scot free and he walks up the guy stamps his thing and says welcome welcome back Mr. Cobb and he you know nods at him and then he sees Michael Caine. And Michael Caine smiles at him. I would choose to believe that at this point, you could probably say he's not dreaming. You could make a good argument because he's never dreamed about his dad before. His dad's never been in any other part of the movie to indicate a dream. The only time you've ever seen his dad is when he wasn't dreaming. To me, what I would say, first of all, the strongest argument that he's not dreaming is the fact that he could see his kids' faces. Right, but yeah, yeah, right. So we get to that point. We're, we'll yeah. get to that. So he gets to the house, and, and yeah, he walks in and immediately goes outside, which, yes, he sees his kids' faces, which is a great argument for him not dreaming. But the, the ask there is he could have done that in his dreams. So he makes that point. She says, like, don't you want to see your kids' faces? And he's like, no. no. He well but it, i they wouldn't have had faces in that because he never saw them prior he never saw them right. in that setting that's that was my argument as well but the, the more i was listening to it i was wondering if it was that he was choosing not to be. see their faces well, because be if he did see their faces then he would never know if he was dreaming right, right? He maybe he wouldn't need to go home and he would right if he ever saw them he wouldn't need to go home so then that brings up the idea that maybe he is dreaming the that, one other thing that i thought might contribute to the fact that he's dreaming is if you remember when he meets up with saito and they're talking about you know the old man filled with regret blah blah blah. we got to make good in our promise saito reaches for a gun right yes if they had used that they wouldn't have woken him up the, uh, the gun wouldn't have woken him up no remember dying in those dreams couldn't wake you up because of the right, drug right exactly that's the only way they could get out of limbo would have been a kick because remember the right the drug leaves your inner ear function, is what he said. Right. So if they would have actually woken up out of that, he and Saito would have had to, I don't know, make some big tower or go jump off a big building, right? Right. But if they had used the gun, because they were old and crazy, they wouldn't have woke up. Right. So 
but they but you, it never we don't know showed, what they did. We don't know what they right. did. And it, is it to the point where he's talking with Saito up. and then the next scene is them waking up? That's kind of how the movie is, yeah. Well, then how did they wake up if there's no kick? What was the well, kick we didn't for the plane? See it. Right. But it could have just been that the serum wore off. Right. That too. Like it was time, specifically but time for a flight. You don't know because Limbo's infinite. There's no way. Yeah. Like he would have been down there so much longer based on how long everything else took. Correct. Which leads us to the final, um, I guess, positive. The other thing that, and this is, uh, this was something that Amanda pointed out. Okay. What if there was turbulence on the plane? That would have woken everyone up. Uh, no, because when they're going off of the the a bridge, or not, not when they're going off the bridge, when he's driving away from the people. Do you remember when he's in the van driving yeah. and the van literally flips? and smashes and then flips over and they show that scene where they're all going like this and they're upset and they don't wake up but why wouldn't if the plane jerked and hit some turbulence and everyone went waitlist wouldn't that function couldn't that function as a kick i guess but i don't think we would have we could it could we'll just assume it was a very safe flight that's because that's bought it and he put the best he did he did he put the best you know i was actually thinking about that too when the lady was uh she, the flight attendant goes into the back. She shuts the curtain, grabs the box, brings it out, and I'm like, Does she, "Is she in on it?" Of course. What did they tell her though? What do you mean? She's an employee, right? So what they would said, you you're tell? They said you're gonna go get this box and bring it into the room, right? And she would have said, "Oh, why?" He says, "I'm not paying you to ask why." Okay, right? that's, that's all I wanted to know because I was thinking I was trying to come you up want, with scenarios you want to keep of like your job. I'll give you like, ten grand. But you just have to do this. But if you were an employee and you set the box down and opened it up. And then the other people came by and started plugging people into this box. I'd ask a question. What are you going to ask? What's going on? What are they going to say? That's what I said. I was going to be like, we're actually doing a sleep study. Can you please step outside? That's what I would tell. (laughs) That's what I'd say. Maybe they did tell her beforehand. Look, here's what's going to go down. You don't ask any questions. We'll give you 20 grand. If you ask any questions. I've just doubled payment for it. If you ask any questions, you're only getting 10 grand. If you don't, I'll give you 20. I like that. Okay. So we've got a couple theories with the final one being the totem. Right. So he gets, and this is what this is. I think the most interesting piece of it, and and to me is the nail in the coffin on this argument. It's so just I'll, classic. I'll present the argument. Classic movie making. So he rot. He sees his kids. He instinctively pulls out his totem and spins it, and then he goes outside. So it's it's should be of note that he never actually looks at he his totem. He doesn't care. He doesn't even care. Now I watched it twice. The totem definitely stops. Doesn't you have to watch it's, it twice to notice that it's it not starts that it's faltering. It starts faltering, which means to me means that it's not a dream. That was my initial thing because in all the other displays of the totem, it doesn't falter at all. And if it were to falter, that indicates that it's not a dream because that it, that was my answer it, event. ten right. years ago. Exactly, and you were like, "Oh, but we don't know." I and I yeah, I was. I think I might have been razzing you, but well, but, that's the point. I mean, the point is you cut it off so we don't know. Exactly, and I think the 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 point I was try, I'm trying to get to is he doesn't care, and so at that point, that's what I I, I said. Um, I think on this viewing, the idea is that he is choosing to make this his reality this that's his choice at the end of this film is that it doesn't matter whether this is a dream or not he in this reality has found his family fixed his problems incepted somebody which is something that he's you know oh you could never do which they again said it can't be done they said it can't be done just like uh, well what does he say he says uh just like inception uh but he says what about saito tells him something He's like, can you do this? And he's like, it's impossible. 
just like Inception. Oh, and yeah. he's like, oh, and then like comes over to talk to him. Yeah, I don't know. No, that's honestly, that's yeah. impossible. It's like, can you whatever it is. Um but yeah, so I just I, I think that to me is the is the nail in the coffin is that it doesn't matter whether he's dreaming or not. He chose this to be his final reality, which again goes back to that that deeper conversation we'd have of of uh you know, what dream is the real dream? Are we dreaming right now? Are we in a simulation? Whatever you want to look at it as it's how do you want it's it's not about whether you're dreaming or not whether you believe you're in a simulation or you're in a dream or whatever it is that you think your life is if you're happy where you're at you're happy in your life (laughs) as long as it's not a nightmare is exactly right nightmare nightmare (laughs) is that that's the generic right no i was just thinking of those whenever somebody will be like oh i'm I'm oh yeah acid right now oh yeah something good and they'll be like nightmare nightmare Nightmare. like a picture of a demon (laughs) (laughs) right um so yeah, so that I think to me though is just a signifier of how how phenomenal this movie is, and I part of that too. Whether you say okay, it doesn't matter what his reality is or that he's not dreaming, I like the idea that this movie is that's it. There's no sequels. There's no that's called a good movie. It's it, it truly is the the sign of concise a good storytelling. Concise storytelling that you don't you don't need another movie to tell you more about it. Like I. The, the reason, and I, again, the reason I love Marvel movies, though, is because there's so many characters, they've got long, you want to follow their stories. Where, well, That's the reason so, I don't like it, right. because yeah, I yeah. feel like it's inefficient storytelling. Right. Too many threads, it's more of like a Game of Thrones season. Sure. And I'm just like, I. this is my gripe, not just with Marvel, but sure, no, long-form no. TV generally. I can do comedy, because that usually isn't. A plot thread there are a couple long-form dramas that i'll do but like anything longer than like a mini series of tv like true detective gotta get a plug for my favorite thing you're gonna talk about oh. marvel i'm gonna throw in true detective uh if you can't tell your story in that amount of time your story is not good enough or it needs tightening mm-hmm. that's that's i feel like basically anyone would agree with that if you're in you know if whether you're in literature or you know filmmaking obviously there might be a different metric but Anyone will tell you like there's there's parts in any given TV series or even the Marvel series oh, where, yeah. where there's it's a lot. filler. You yeah, know? you've been watching anime. There's plenty of filler. That's I mean, that's kind of different, but no, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's it's you know they you've got to have something to show people. But I I guess that goes to the conversation of then why does everyone love the Marvel movies so much? Of like if if that is a true thing, I think people and like that's filler. a that's I guess well I mean, no people like comfort too. And that's true. In the sense of you go into a Marvel movie, you know the characters already. You don't have to do any sort of intellectual or emotional work in trying to learn new characters. It's like going. It's like going to see your family versus going to meet a new person. It's just the same reason you watch a TV show because once you're a couple episodes in, you know the formula. You know Mm -hmm. what to expect. You can just kind of relax. It's not. Yeah, and I guess so. That that is truly the the difference. Is different movies because I don't like relaxing. I don't want to sit back and be like, oh, I've seen this before. Anytime I see a movie and I'm like, oh, I've seen this before, it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, I want to see something new. That's fair. And I guess you know, there's a suspension of belief there too, where I I acknowledge that, but I don't care. Like I I love that. Yeah, and yeah, and everyone's a little different. Everybody. I mean, I'm the same way with stuff that I'd like to watch. I'll rewatch. What I've mentioned, Portlandia, that's one that I could watch. Yep. That's not a drama. Uh, but I mean, I will shoot, though. Even movies. Are you talking about TV shows? Well, that I'm just thinking in terms of something long form like that. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like there was a show that I've, I've watched I've rewatched True times. Detective so many times. I know. But those are shorter. Cause I've rewatched like, One Punch Man, Demon yeah, Slayer, um, The Siege of Mandalore. I, I want to rewatch Mad Men. Because I never even finished Mad Men. Ah, Mad Men. Are they always That's, angry? Is that the by the end of it? Do they kind of calm down? Or I think kind of I thing? think by the end, maybe Mad is crazy. 
Because I think, is it, I mean, isn't the whole idea of that show, though, like, uh, what's it called? Just not anti-men, but isn't, isn't it like all the male character? Basically, all the female characters are the ones who are actually doing the, making the money moves in the, in the show. Not really. I mean, it's... Maybe it's we should, maybe like it, a, it could be a spoiler. No, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's just like a period thing. Sure. Hey, and, and into the psyche I mean, guy. now we're jumping into John Hamm. Juan Ham's actually my mentor, so that works out great. <laughs> that's, that's that's perfect. Uh, so we will we will end this on one final discussion. We promised to talk oh, yeah. about it. Uh, Inception or Interstellar? Um, honestly, like I said, honestly, I feel like I, I've really started growing into this space of trying to not rank movies, um, which is hard in of itself because I like ranking things. But just like I was saying. I, I feel like when you're watching the movie, that should be your favorite movie while you're watching it. Like I, f- I would feel bad for you if you're watching a film thinking about a different movie <laughs> and how that movie is better than that the movie just you're watching. Me of when I was watching Rogue One. Right. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I could be watching a good movie right now, and I turned it off and watched Annihilation. And, and the, but that's the thing, right? And so I don't feel that way when I'm watching Inception or Interstellar. But if I, you know, gun to my head, I've got to figure out which one of these I like better. Inception and that, I, that was where you're not in a dream. This is real life. Oh shoot! I think what I like and, and liked about it this time around was realizing how normal this movie is in being so abnormal. Like this movie is literally just about a guy who just so happens to be good at manipulating people's dreams. Like that's literally it. There's no there's no superpowers. There's no like like a marvel movie there's no secrets there's no this that and the other you know mystical otherworldly sort of things it's I mean, just it's sci-fi well but right but it's just because it's dream tech right. it's just going into somebody's dream it's not and even the way that they go in again is like the military invented this it's right. so it's it's a very easy movie to get into because of that but yeah. at the same time the movie blows your mind because you're like because of how simplistic it is in its nature like there's almost zero suspension because you're like yeah, that, that makes sense. You get in halfway through a dream. That makes total sense. Or, you know, this dream takes 10 times longer. That makes sense. And all this makes sense. Whereas Interstellar, when you're watching that movie, again, makes sense on a macro level. Like, yeah, this is going to happen to our planet eventually. But then you get to the end when they're going through time. And I'm all for that. But that's something that I think some people may have a harder time grasping of, like, how is it that he traveled back? You always well, you went into your a pedantic, world. You're Neil deGrasse Tyson types who right. point out all this stuff even though by the way all the science in there was theoretical and based on the working yeah the, he, he like yeah he like consulted somebody so like that. to argue oh that's not possible it's like well the point is we don't know so that's like when people could... say time travel is impossible or that when they're like when you're watching a movie with time travel and they go that's not how you yeah. do it it's oh, like yeah. well that's because time travel doesn't exist so you can't there's no right way to talk about it yeah what would you say what did you say you go, um, I did I, did I say? I thought you were gonna say. I don't know which will, is your favorite will, of the two. Ah, will Wasn't they? That the whole will they? Won't they? Um, honestly, I think. Uh, maybe Interstellar. I don't know though. I feel like when I'm, I feel like the next time we talk, I'd say Inception. But I think Interstellar only because of its grander possibilities again inception is very contained it's just dreams it's you're a couple people in dreams the ideas within those dreams are exciting but with interstellar you're talking about like literally interstellar travel which is much bigger than a dream in that idea so i guess 
I'd say Interstellar, but I, I, but today it's Inception for sure. Like on the tenth anniversary, it's Inception. <laughs> but uh, it's also Interstellar. Okay, what about you? So the first thing I was gonna say, I noticed at the beginning you said that this is a movie that's like universally loved. I don't think that's true. I feel like for some reason, a lot of like the you know film lovers, movie buff type people don't like Christopher Nolan, or people don't like this movie. I'm not entirely sure why. I don't know if it's because it's ridiculous or maybe there's too much exposition or too much, you know, I don't know, the whole, you know, dead mom, dead wife thing that persists in all of Christopher Nolan's movies. But uh, obviously I love it. I've loved it since it came out. Maybe part of it is because I saw it as a teenager and it was the first, like, high-level movie I saw. Right. You know, had I come upon this movie now... After having seen everything that I've seen, maybe I wouldn't like it as much. But I find that kind of hard to believe. I, yeah. Because I love sci-fi anyway. Yeah. Um, as far as so this movie, I've I had it in my top ten for the longest time, because I I truly love it that much, and it's so it's so cool, it's so revolutionary. I mean, all the all the special effects still hold up. It's all like enjoyable still. Um, not too long ago though. I made a rearrangement and ended up taking Inception out of my top ten and putting Interstellar in. So that kind of answers it for you. I, I like Interstellar more. And I think it's because it's more emotional. Where this movie's got some emotion in the That's sense... A good call. You know, the stuff with his wife. But it's not... I don't know. It doesn't hold as much weight to me as um, the father-daughter stuff. Marv! All Stay. That. Don't let me leave, Murph. Yeah, you're right. I think I cried more in Interstellar than Inception for I didn't sure. Cry at all in Inception. I the only time, and I noticed this time, the only time that I got emotional in this movie was when he's talking with Mal at right. the end, when he's you know basically apologizing to her for what he did. That's the only time that I got emotional in the movie. But with Interstellar, yeah, I feel like I pro I literally cried when yeah, yeah at the end of that movie. And here's call. my hot take. I think I like the score of Interstellar more. I it's think no, you're no, right. No one would say that it's as iconic, but well, no. But you, when you're saying that, you're you're making your point because what's iconic about Inception score is that, which is literally one part of it. Right. The whole rest of it, it's kind of forgettable. There's don't get me wrong, it's great. I mean, we're talking right now probably about like what an eight out of ten versus a ten out of ten of scores. Yeah, and which it's is not that. crazy, but yeah, Interstellar's overall. I mean, we both have the vinyls of interstellar score and you've got the cd of interstellar score mm-hmm. i don't have inceptions i don't i don't ever listen to inception score but yeah, uh, yeah that makes sense <sighs> maybe i would say interstellar then i need to watch that movie again though and we do you have any uh little film cells for, in, for <laughs> inception they didn't have that around i didn't have that option yeah plus i was 17 what was i gonna get my allowance no. get, a, get a film cell <laughs> no i was working by then that would have been cool though if they had done something, knowing like that. it though, you would have gotten a film cell of uh, old man, like of the corner of Saitama's old face, and then I would have gotten one of I'm trying to think what would have been like the perfect scene in that. Movie. Well, you got to think too that, I mean, this movie came right after Dark Knight, so Christopher Nolan was, I mean, he had, he was on fire. He'd sort of, I think, with this one is sort of where he became a household name, with Inception. Yeah, and so I don't think the studio would have cared to put whatever expense goes into you know some special film cell all that stuff Mm -hmm. because it was a risk movie you know that was his pet project that he wanted to do before he even did batman 
Is that you read about? Yeah. That? Well, yeah. that's like a, a known thing that part of the reason he agreed to do Batman was so he could make enough money to finance this movie. You do one for them, you do one for you. He, he this probably came to him in a dream. <laughs> <laughs> it probably did. But who incepted it? Who knows? Probably his brother John. His his brother. What is it? Jonathan, is it Jonathan? Jonathan? Yeah, he Nolan, kept coming yeah. up talking about elephants. Yeah, saying, well, that's not your idea. That's mine. Oh yeah, don't think about elephants. Um, well, there you have it. I, I think we've got a we've got an uh, an Interstellar fan and an well I'll I'll say Interstellar, but like I said, if I rewatch it, I'll be I'll be thinking about. Well, this is, it. I mean, they're two of my it's favorite. It's tough. Movies, I just period, I just looked. So. If you go back to our um, to our top films of the decade, I do have Interstellar as number two and Inception as number three. And like I said, at that point, you're you're comparing. I don't know if I can pull up my list, but you're comparing two different things. I would say IMDb definitely likes Inter- Inception more than I'm in Interstellar, but it's by point two. You got an eight point eight versus an eight point six. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, that's Inception for you. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Anything you want to say? Tell the viewers where they can find you. Anything? You're waiting for a train. You don't know. You don't know where it's going, but you know where you want it to go. But you don't know for sure. You don't know for sure. But it doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Because we'll be together. Because we'll be together. That that scene didn't get me emotional, but I was terrified when she was out on the ledge talking about all that. Yeah. And he's like, I, I love that scene though. That's like classic Leo of like, he's like, what, what, so what it was, uh, it's Philippa and James. Honey, please, uh, think just for a minute. Think about James, honey. Huh? Think about James. Oh, think about Philippa, honey. Come on, come on down. Let's just, we're going to talk, huh? Come on. Like the way he talked, it was like, that's not really how you should should talk to somebody. But then when he, she's like, no, you know, well, I already had three different people confirm that I'm sane and that you did this, that, and the other. And I was just like, oh my God, that is just messed up. But, um... Yeah, so I, I would just say, you know, love your movies. Both of these movies are great. Interstellar, I don't even know why we're trying to... <laughs> we'll talk about that in 2024 on its 10th anniversary. Oh, yeah, but uh, that, I think, will do it for us here at Comics and Cinema. So I'm your host, Alex Klein. we got Stephen Klein here as a co-host. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you at the movies.